0: Good morning, John. Good morning, Sean. Today we have a special guest with us. Brian is here. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, John.
1: Thanks for having morning, me on. Brian.
2: Yeah. So, thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah. So Brian, Brian's a listener and uh, and a colleague and uh, and he's got a beef with John. <laughs> and so that's true. So we decided to bring him on. Yeah. So Brian, why don't you tell us what what your perception of our podcast is?
1: okay so yeah uh you know i'm a math teacher and a lot of the stuff in the podcast is interesting to me i you know i listen because oh uh these are new and interesting ways on on how we can teach children and you know i try to raise my son montessori and have him learn things for himself but then i've noticed that every single time that uh, sean starts talking about problems in education you're like what you know, what's wrong with education in the world these days? And John always say, "Yeah, like in math, math is just oh, you know, the way they teach it, and, the, and it's like oh, I feel every time I feel personally attacked. Like I feel yeah. like I should have like a sign up on the wall and just put a check mark every time that uh, I get personally attacked on an unexamined educator." Yeah. So, um, so uh, I thought, is there some kind of like long-standing? Was there a problem? Did like a mathematician you know attack his family in his youth or something like that? <laughs> So uh, yeah, so I, I came on here to to kind of understand where you're coming from and and uh, kind of share my perspective and see if we can, I can learn a little bit too.
2: Yeah, great. And um, you know, I I know you through Sean Brian and and you know everything that you know he says about you as a teacher and everything gives me great confidence that you know uh, we can work this out, work out my math trauma, you know, to some extent by by talking <laughs> to you. So you know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so yeah, I'll start by. Trying to more accurately characterize my my feelings about math. I, I think you know what you've picked up on, there's something there, right? So I won't just deny right. that, you know, that I think there's something there. And and uh Sean had reported to me that you felt you know, to some degree I was picking on math. And I tried to correct that and, and fix it. Uh but I think there it is true that I have a particular <laughs> But then you just
0: fell back into yeah, it. Yeah, I just fell week. back into it and you know. <laughs> I do yeah. have a
2: particular gripe, but it's not with math. I think you you know you kind of uh, pointed to it when you said um with with math education, so it's it, mm-hmm. you know I don't even really know what math is at higher levels you know than uh, k through twelve than the math that that I went through. I took a little bit of math in college as well, but it wasn't you know it wasn't that much since I was an english right. major but in in k through twelve education, i guess um my major gripe is that I feel betrayed by that education in this sense. Mm-hmm. The, the whole time and even till today, like I feel that math is something I could be very interested in. It's something, and I, I think I could really get a lot of um, enjoyment out of and, um, and use even. You know, I, I think it could be really beneficial to me. Right. But right. I guess when I, when I look back on my education, the, the overwhelming feeling that I have is that it wasted my time. Like it didn't put me in a position, <laughs> yeah, it didn't put me in a position of of gaining anything, you know, from math or benefiting from, you know, doing all that homework and taking all those tests and sitting through all those lessons. And right. uh, I don't have anything to show for it, you know, and uh, and I, I really feel like I could have if it were done differently. Like, I, I guess I don't blame myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for that. Yeah, I, so- I blame I blame the system. So it may not even be the
1: subject itself it may just be kind of like a flashpoint for larger problems in education because math math kind of has a special status in education right Yeah It's uh, I think I've heard you refer to it before as like a prestige subject in a way like a one that right. we by which we measure
2: our standing with others Right Yeah and when we d- I don't know if you listened to the episode when we did the um, movie review of Stand and Deliver
1: I've listened to every
2: episode. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> wow. But in, in that one, you know, it, it's really clear in that movie how math is like a gatekeeper for, you know, going forward in education. And I think that's really one of the ways that, that people look at it is is like success in math opens up doors of opportunity even if they're not really directly related to math.
1: You're right. It really was a direct gatekeeping because uh, like they... they- even when they did succeed, they almost didn't want that group to succeed because success right. in math would would make them higher in social standing. Right. And they didn't want that for that group of people. Right. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. Yeah, no,
2: no. Go ahead. Um, So, yeah, and, and there's other, you know, further thoughts I have about the status of math, <laughs> which are more, <laughs> you know, uh, that math has this uh, kind of, well, let me put it this way you can be, I think you can talk pretty freely about innovating in other subjects and doing them differently. And people don't get too, it's, it seems like some people are anxious about the, you know, maybe costs of doing that or what you might, what you might lose in terms of education. Um, but like in English, for example, um, it's, it's a subject where you can experiment and, um, and do different things because people see it as a, maybe a more, uh, a subject that involves more creativity it's more, maybe more, um, you know, something that you need to th- to think about, you know, and discuss. It's about ideas, right? right? Whereas with math, I know math is also, you know, I'm not saying math is not about ideas, but the way people think about it and their attitude towards it almost gives it this status of, like, it's it's fixed, right? Like, the way you do math is 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 permanently fixed. It's already been perfected, um, and you don't mess with it, right? Like, it, it has this... Yeah, right, like, this right. is
0: the... This is the one place where we're, like, sure that we've perfected
1: things and we can't mess with <laughs> them. Right. right, right. It's true. Like, innovation in math doesn't happen right now in the current system until you're in graduate school. I mean, that's when you start creating new math. But it takes – the way the current system is set up, you have to teach fossilized math. You know, you start with, like, arithmetic, which is, like, thousands of years old and then even if you get up to calculus that's still 400 years old i mean you have to do uh undergraduate just to get into the, like the last century and then to do new math you have to do graduate school and that's the way it's currently set up now it doesn't have to be that way but it is the way it's currently set up now that you don't do yeah. any new creative living math until you've gone through 15 or 20 years of dead math
2: or even you know the the um dead math as you as are saying the opportunity to think of that in a you know in a way that's um has some vitality for the for the student, right? Right, um, right. And it's so, just and, taught as like so, this. This thing is figured out. You know, don't worry too much about. You know, you just need to learn how to do this. <laughs> That's it. Right, right. No room for experimentation. Yeah, exactly.
1: No, and then there's, I, I'm I'm sure a lot of the older teachers were scarred by the new math debacle, which is when yeah, uh, we'll uh have right to talk uh, about that. Yeah. So so you guys may know. Uh, may have studied some of this more than me, because I know you guys are interested in the history of education, but from what I've heard is, is people thought, what if we do teach math differently? What if, what if we take the stuff that we think is now important in math, like set theory, and what if we teach that to kindergartners? So instead mm-hmm. of doing like three plus five is eight, you see like you have a set of three objects, a set of five objects, you take the union of them and you have eight objects. And my impression was that uh, that did not go very well at all. It sounds like you've heard a bit about that before, Sean. What were you going to say about that? yeah the the impression the
0: overwhelming impression from uh traditionalists uh or conventionalists mm-hmm. uh was that uh, that math was that we were changing the way we were teaching math and that math wasn't a subject where you changed the way that you taught it uh which i think probably i mean i don't know enough about it so i would love your thoughts on it but uh just like that that example you gave there and and terms of talking about sets, uh, like uh, a different way of conceptualizing um, these, uh, you know, fundamentals of math, it was obviously abrasive to a lot of people. And I don't think like, like if we take that set theory, I think that could have run into the exact same, if that had been successful, I think it could have run into the exact same problems that we still have, which is you just said a new convention that everyone's completely committed to, uh, right?
1: Right. It's just re- yeah. They're replacing one convention with another.
0: Right. Right. And and so in terms of uh, John's point about the vitality of math uh, getting sucked out of it, the vitality of teaching math was certainly like uh, <laughs> it was. It was in a lot of people's minds. I, I know that, uh, uh, and this was especially with the uh, Common Core stuff that. Uh, as, you know, I mean, that was like the last... I mean, I guess it was
2: like... 10 years ago. When, yeah. 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 10,
1: 15 years ago now. And in the math community, Common Core coming out was just a, a, a huge touch point. I mean, we had people arguing on both sides of Congress and some of my universities about Common Core. So uh, what were you going to say about Common Core? Oh, n- no, just exactly that is that it was like,
0: uh, you know, highly contentious. Um, you right. know, we didn't adopt it in Texas, uh, so... There was a, a a you know bit of an insulation from it um in texas right but uh but yeah, you couldn't not hear about it and uh and you spent i i guess it would have been worth pointing out at the beginning is you've spent quite a bit of time at uh universities as professors and and so you've seen this from from that side of it too, so if you have anything to add in terms of like specifics, go for it,
1: yeah, yeah so. Is it okay if I give a little background to this area? Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Yeah, so I wasn't originally a, a high school teacher. I, I'm glad I am now. It's probably the, the my favorite area for teaching math I've ever had. But um, I started as a professor, um, and I uh, traveled to different universities. The job market for professors is really tight right now. But as I traveled around, uh, it's really interesting getting opinions on the Common Core. I remember – so um, – I was telling you guys a little bit of this before the episode started. My university actually had two math departments because, um, so, the, you know, there's the traditional math department where you just teach all the math. It's rigorous. You got, here's your exam. Here's your, your stuff. And then mm-hmm. um, some people thought, well, let's try some of these newer methods in education. Let's try flipped classrooms. Let's try um, the Moore method, which is like a kind of like a self-taught method where the teacher's just kind of a guide, basically. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the division between them was so big, it just literally ripped in half. We got a math ed department, which was focused on like the nice ways of teaching. And they're the ones that taught the future <laughs> high school teachers. And we had yeah. the math department is like, no, we're just going to do stuff the tough old way. Right. And both were great. Like I was in the math department. So that's, that was my indoctrination was in the math department. I was, I was, you know, against the enemies in the math ed department, <laughs> but even in the math department, people really cared a lot about common core. So, um, one of my mentors, uh, a man named David, he uh, he testified before Congress. He said Common Core was just terrible. It was just one of the worst things ever because um, I believe his main uh, insistence against it was that they they focused so much on the method. You know what I mean? So it was like, right. okay, we're going to add 45 and 38. Okay. Oh, you got their answer? Hold on. That doesn't count. It only counts as the right answer if you did it exactly our way so we want you to add up the tens first and then the ones and then carry it mm-hmm. over right now we want to do yeah. it a different way where you see like what's the gap so you know if you're adding 45 try adding 50 and take away five mm-hmm. and now those are great strategies but um his problem was that it was just focusing so much on the strategy that even if students got stuck in a problem and solved it a different way it wouldn't count and that would make right. them frustrated yeah. kind of like a, a sense of formalism um but then uh, here it gets a little murky because he was a, a big believer in Singapore math, which is like a method that is used a lot in, you know, of course, Singapore and China and other areas. Uh, and in some preparation before this this uh, recording, I actually was looking up the differences between the two, and people are saying that Common Core is actually based on Singapore math. So now it's kind of hard to know what people are fighting about. So... Yeah. This is just a, a big murky area. You got people with very strong opinions on different sides. Um, I've heard it from like my cousins. I, I help tutor some of my uh, nephews or nieces or cousins in math sometimes, and they talk about it and they complain about it. So, whatever's going on in math, nobody likes it, but it doesn't really seem like there's a good path forward. So,
0: it, yeah, and there's, I think, it's a lack of clarity too, because it, it John and I, I think, uh, Yesterday we were talking about this, and and John pointed out that it almost has like a cultural war element to it. Yes, where it's not really about the specifics; it's about like what side are you on, and uh, and the spef- specifics don't really matter. Right, uh, as long as you know which
1: side you're you're rooting for. No, that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, there's a big backlash right now against like, and there always has been against like touchy feely math versus rigorous math. <laughs> the people yeah. the people who like the rigorous math say, like, "Oh, we don't care about math. that's like about your feelings or about the methods. We just want <laughs> hardcore math that's real and right. it's going to help people and then the touchy feel of people are like, Yeah, but you're just doing rote memorization that doesn't have any learning and 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 it, the actual methods don't seem to matter at all. You could swap the methods and they could have the exact same arguments. It's almost yeah. more like the attitude towards math I, I feel. right,
2: yeah, you know like i I think that the you know, to make it more understandable uh, to myself, I, 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 think there's a similarity between between math and in the language arts. So I'm an English teacher, but uh, in mm-hmm. grammar, right? The way grammar okay. is seen and taught, and um, and from my own own experience too, because like I actually, you know, have when it comes to teaching grammar, you can you can find people with the same types of um, approaches, uh, that same kind of divide, right? And my Uh tendency, like my inclination is toward the, you know, rigorous, you know, (laughs) method of learning grammar, you know, like diagramming sentences, um, being really um, strict about, you know, uh, parts of speech and the definitions of them and and being able to really precisely and accurately identify those things and and analyze them and, you know, uh, break a sentence apart and and things like that. Uh, But at the same time, I think what I recognize is the reason why that Approach appeals to me is because it doesn't uh harm my it doesn't harm the appeal of grammar to me in fact, like part of the appeal of of grammar to me is that rigor you know uh, like mm-hmm. I can approach grammar in that way and I remember being in school and having like grammar worksheets and and those kinds of things and and I would do that work and and i didn't mind doing it you know uh, and I think that this is like people who push for in these rigorous methods like the hardcore methods of doing things are people who have gone through it and it didn't, you know, have any harm on their enthusiasm for it. You know, they, they survived right. that. And, and maybe even to a certain extent they they enjoy that, right? That's part of the appeal that it has for them. Um, yeah. But I, I think that what they don't take into account and what I myself have to remind myself about grammar is that um, that very thing could be the the thing that pushes another person away from it. Right, and so um, you know, like I guess I was pushed away from from math by the way that it's taught. But now that I'm you know older and I can look back, I can see that if I had been allowed to do it a different way, then then maybe I wouldn't have achieved the same objectives that my you know <laughs> that the the school curriculum had for me. But I would have. Yeah. I think I could have preserved you know um, some kind of you know uh, benefit and appreciation that would have actually helped me right now you know this so there would so been there would have been a cost there would have been a cost at that time right maybe there's a certain level of problems i couldn't have gotten to maybe there's a certain you know level of difficulty with certain types of problems that that i, I couldn't have achieved but I, I might have come away with with a much more you know positive view of of the whole thing you know and so that's another thing is like you know one gripe i always have about every subject is the standardization of it is that you know, uh, because maybe what's right for, you know, one part of the population of students is to just mm-hmm. keep it rigorous, keep it, you know, traditional or conventional and just, you know, drill <laughs> because they love right. that, you know, and they benefit right. from that and it works for them. But maybe for, you know, a large, another large segment of the student population, they just need more time to to be relaxed, you know, to not, not be, you know, like constantly pushed forward as if, You know, there's some kind of urgency to moving to progressing in math because that's another thing I always feel is like with math, it's like the faster, the better, you know, like the, the more quickly you can, you can get past this and get past that. Then you can, you know, you can finally get to a point where, you know, it's like when you finish high school, the, you know, the, the more advanced math you, you had, you know, completed the better. You know, just almost like absolutely. Oh yeah, and there and there's some prestige to that I remember.
1: I tutored a, a girl that did homeschooling, and she was taking college classes at 14, and that was you know that's considered a, a, a remarkable and a good achievement. Like you right. said, to get through the math as quick as possible. But it's so interesting hearing you you talk about this because I wouldn't have expected at all that you would have loved a rigorous and axiomatic method of grammar. And then not liked math. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it's so interesting. Like, what at what point, it, it feels like you had the mind ready. At what point did math fail you? And now I'm trying to projecting something here because my hypothesis has been for a long time that, you know, you were just talking about how some students like one way and some like another. Yeah. Almost everybody I've talked to, it feels like they love math their whole life until they reach some year, some teacher, some class that just mm-hmm. kills it for them. But at yeah. that point, that was the point that I stopped caring or liking about math.
2: Yeah, um, and um, it's,
1: yeah, because yeah. Can you I say what, about, I think it is, what, what I think
2: it is for me? Like, if I think back, what is it? To, yeah, yeah, Let's hear this. To, to my schooling is, uh, you know, and so this might not even, yeah, you know what? It, I think it's when I started having more homework and like when I was being evaluated more, yeah. you know, with math because no, you know what? Actually, I have a distinct memory here. Now, yeah, I remember in fifth grade. Okay. Um, actually I wanted to mention also that, that when I was in fifth grade, I was sort of experimented on with new math. (laughs) I remember like my teacher was like, we're going to do new math. (laughs) Right. So, uh, and, uh, and I remember somehow in the, you know, as a fifth grader, I I wasn't too aware of these kinds of things, but I remember that term being thrown around, you know, when I was a kid and I was in the GT program. And so I remember like for the GT students, they were going to do new math. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, for my fifth grade math teacher, she had this thing on the wall, like these rocket ships and each rocket ship had a student's name on it. Right. And they were going to go, go to, go to the moon. Right. And Uh this was all about like, um, drilling the, the times tables, you know, addition, subtraction, basically you're just having these simple things and doing them as quickly as possible. Right. Um, and I was terrible at that. Like, uh, yeah, I, I just couldn't do it fast or or without making mistakes or, or like I just hated the idea that I was being forced to do it like as quickly as possible right so right. my rocket ship would stay you know like everyone's rocket ships were taking off almost you know to the moon and mine was like lagging behind <laughs> and uh and I remember this one time we when we had these these little like um um uh, cardboard devices they had like wheels on them where you could you could do a problem somehow I don't remember what kind of problem it was whatever but she gives you the uh-huh. problem, and then you spin these wheels, and you you sort of like work it out using this you know this little instrument. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, okay, it was. okay. Um, yeah, I can see something like that. And it was a timed thing, so you had to do it fast, right? And mm-hmm. and I remember getting frustrated during one of these timed sessions, and I threw the card like thing down on the floor, right? Right. I, I had something of an attitude, you know, when I was a student. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> but anyway, like she punished me for that. So she stopped and she said like, um, you know, she scolded me and then she said, put your head down and I want you to think about, you know, she had on the wall like about how we're supposed to respect school property, you know, mm-hmm. and she said, put your head down and I want you to think about that, <laughs> you know, that you didn't respect school property. I think that was the beginning of, uh, yeah, like like that. And then after that, just like the the homework load, because I was in, you know, like like the, the honors and, you know, and AP and all that stuff. And just the homework load and the assessments and all that stuff, it just... It just killed it for me, and I I stopped doing my homework. I stopped, you know, like, I still stayed in those classes, and by the time I was a senior, I I was taking uh, AP Calculus, but I completely checked out there. When I saw the load, you know, like, the the amount of work that I was going to have to do, I just, you know, Uh I I just gave up. That's interesting. So you had the you
1: had the ability to do like the more advanced math, you know, cause most students don't get the AP calculus, but you
2: lost the spirit of it. You lost yeah, your, yeah. Your, your desire or the will to, to do math. Right. Exactly. Cause yeah, I, you know, I, and when I, I remember signing up for calculus and thinking, Oh, that's interesting. I want to know what calculus is right. Like, yeah. um, but then when I got there and I realized how, yeah, how motivated, how much I was going to have to push myself <laughs> you know, in terms of working and, and everything, I was just like, this is not going to happen, you know? Um, if, if there were some like calculus class that were relaxed and we weren't worried about taking the exam at the end of the year and you know um, you could just take your time like I think that would have been perfect for me and that's exactly what like the math a,
1: ed department was.
2: yeah like we talk about the
1: split between the math department and the math ed that was their whole philosophy. their classes were relaxed. They didn't have high pressure exams you know' they yeah. might have like project related things. So it's so interesting to hear you say this because this is this is the fight that kind of you know split apart the community. Uh, Like, what should our classes be? Should we, should we make classes that are available to everybody and like adapt to different people's learning methods? Or should we make classes that are hard and whoever gets it, gets it. And whoever dies, dies. And that's (laughs) their fault.
0: (laughs) So, so, so Brian, did the math ed department, it came from the math department?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, so they they had to
0: splinter off and call themselves something else,
1: right? And there was no other, they didn't have anything like that. There was no English education department, there was no,
0: it it didn't come from the education department. No, it came from the math department itself, yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, just because um, people get so heated about how we teach math, and um, you know, and that was true at every university I taught at. I had to completely realign myself every time I got somewhere new because. Everybody has such strong opinions on how it should happen, and they're all very different from each other.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we, I feel like we got another good uh, 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 reflection point for John, and I think we're helping him unpack yeah, some yeah. things here. It's helping,
2: yeah. I'm healing <laughs> <laughs> with
0: with your head down, pondering <laughs> the, the school of property that you damaged. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, well you know those to the moon guys that had to do it real fast, maybe they're the ones who were responsible for that Mars probe crashing in 99 <laughs> because they forgot to convert the units. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, it's all you since yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I was reflecting on like I didn't know if that was really properly a math mistake, but I I felt like it was. I'd remembered I remembered in 1999 hearing this news about this, you know, hundred million dollar or whatever probe that uh, crashed on Mars uh, because the there was a a, a failure to, to convert from a, a metric to imperial or something like that, and. Uh, uh, and so i pulled up that article to to share with y'all just because i thought it was kind of an amusing thing because i and my my point of bringing that up though was like that's the point where precision and math and precision and math answers that's where it matters right like you can't really right. argue that if you're working for nasa building space probes that you get to be casual with your like <laughs> precise answers but but really like there's you know there's a lot of places where uh, in the growth, I think and I think this is what to, what John's talking about is, uh, uh, a little bit is, is that um, you know figuring it out and getting it just right straight away, like that doesn't really matter at the formative stages uh, of math. Like that's my perception on it. And so I mean, I guess I would be in the math ed department. <laughs> at
2: your uh, yeah, uh, yeah university, I was going to say to me like that, that's not really even you know uh, necessarily the, the issue um, you know because of course at 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 some point and probably at every point getting a particular result is is important right um, right but uh, yeah the emphasis on um, doing it quickly is one thing right which I was complaining about and then the Um, just making it about like, this is what math is, right? Like, uh, that part of it also is, as I think, um, you know, can repulse people from it because it's really like that, um, feeling of you have to perform perfectly, you know, it's sort of like, it's not that a discussion of whether precision and accuracy is important or not, but how much of a problem is it for you to make mistakes, right? Right. Like, um... Yeah, and and like even in, in the pursuit of better accuracy. You yeah, know, and yeah,
0: that's a that's that's much better stated. Yeah,
2: how how acceptable is the mistake? Right, right. And, and it's one of
1: the few f- yeah. fields yeah. where there is like a, a kind of objective standard of accuracy, right? Because, right, in things like history and other things like that, there's facts obviously, and you can get the facts right or wrong. But there's some leeway. Like, could we discover maybe these facts aren't true? But with math, there's the idea it's kind of like eternal, set in stone,
2: in a sense. Yeah. Right. I thought of another uh, another part of my trauma. I just want to get this on the record. Uh, it's from the same the same uh, you know fifth grade math class. Um, you know this this teacher yeah. like you know I, I, like I didn't really like this teacher you know very much from the beginning. This is I remember. So I, I hope no one does the research and figures out you know like who the teacher is. Uh, I don't remember. John, this is, uh, uh,
0: I, we, need to, we need to have like John therapy sessions, <laughs> yeah. obviously. That's well, like, well, needs well, this... be a new kind of episode. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah this, and this ties to my theory. I've had this theory for a long time. This happens for everybody. So it's nice to hear about it for a, a real individual. It's like a nice test run. So keep going. Yeah, this is interesting.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, and it's actually, it's not directly related to math. Uh, but this, the same teacher, um, I remember when she was introducing herself to us at the beginning of the year. Um, she emphasized the fact that she was very close to finishing her master's degree, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm, I was a fifth grader. This is the first time I ever heard of a master's degree, right? And I was like right. thinking, what's that? Or, you know, it, it, it. even at that age, or maybe I'm just projecting this on my memory. I don't know. That's for, you know, the professional professionals to figure out in psychoanalyzing me. But uh, <laughs> I remember, I, I feel like at the time, I thought to myself, like, what is she talking about you know like what does that have to do with me <laughs> like you know it felt arrogant you know <laughs> uh to me at the time and um it it at least at the very least it it kind of made me feel weird you know or like uncomfortable right. it's probably combined with her tone and everything like that cuz i don't think there's a problem with the teacher mentioning that but it it just seemed like kind of like out of place but anyway i was just i was just thinking that this may have also this being my first exposure to someone talking about themselves pursuing like a graduate degree and, you know, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff may have tainted my view of that, <laughs> like <laughs> as well, you know, because in my mind is right. like, you know, yeah, anyway. So that's a different What
0: topic. an arrogant thing to do. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's just like flexing well, you know, in front of fifth graders, you know, there, about there's your mass problem.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, they may be mentioning it because one thing I've noticed is a lot of math teachers are themselves uncomfortable with math. Like, yeah. uh, I feel like there's a lot of imposter syndrome where they feel like deep inside, they're not confident. They're not good enough where, you know, they, and they are, of course. I mean, there's so many math teachers that are good enough. But uh, yeah. but deep down inside, like, um, you know, I, I heard it before. One thing I used to do a lot was uh, I, I used to ask my advanced students when I was in college, like... Uh, taking the, the higher level classes, um, I'd, I'd say, why don't you go and interview somebody in your field and ask them what, how you'll use this. So like they ask engineers, like, oh yeah, we use this every day, and they ask these people, they ask these people, but then they ask, people are gonna go to Math Ed, ask high school teachers, I'm like, yeah, I haven't used that for 15 years you know mm-hmm. what i mean so yeah. there's kind of like this feeling like you know you learn the math and you haven't practiced it and so you're not really that good at it and right. and almost like a fear of teaching in a new way because what if you don't know the new way you know what i mean so right. I, right. I i've been surprised to see this in people so i feel like a lot of math teachers don't like math and they're che i feel like your students can can feel that and it kind of stresses out the students in a way so yeah. i wonder if your teacher was bringing that up almost kind of because they're a bit insecure like maybe, I'm gonna yeah. get my masters once I get my masters, maybe I'll be accomplished. But that might right. be me projecting completely. This is I've had a lot of theories about how does math go wrong over the years. Yeah. Um Yeah, and yeah, that's, that's why I came to high school. So I could like I could find new ways for math to go wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. <No. laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That all right. So um yeah, I, I think that's uh and maybe that does sort of point to the function of math in in adult society versus like the function of like literature or history where uh you know i i don't know I don't know how much we use any of these subjects that we teach uh mm-hmm. in high school and in college in in our our day to day lives It's not really easy, but it maybe seems like a more seamless connection between. You know, study of literature and just existing as a human being. Uh, although I, I don't get the impression that there's a lot of people using that every day. I guess language people
2: use every day, but uh, even that, but like, really that, yeah. Sorry, just to, yeah. just real quick, like even the the you know study of literature as an academic discipline. I, I think mm-hmm. the only people who feel like it has any application in their uh, in their actual lives are those who who you know take a, an, a particular interest in it. It's not like right. you know the, the right. people yeah. who go to freshman literature, or sophomore literature classes, and things like that. For them, it's just a box to check off and, and to get through. Right,
0: right, yeah, yeah. So I mean that 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 all, but I, but I'm when I'm trying to kind of figure out is is why does math, why does math hold this place when when like you really could you could go around to a lot of people and say, like when was the last time you read a book or something? Yeah. And you know, I can imagine plenty of people saying, like, well, I haven't read a book since one was assigned to me and you know, right. whatever. Right, uh, right. College or high school or something like that. And uh but yeah, no one no one gets uh I, I think you're right about the imposter syndrome thing, but I don't really feel like why does why why is math so particular? Like why is it so manifestly like uh
1: um like charged in mathematics yeah. right I, I wonder i was thinking about this last night actually but uh, preparing for this and one thought that i had is that there is kind of an element of education where you want to set yourself off from other people right like if you go to harvard ivy league you want you want to be better in some way if that makes any sense yeah and yeah and math more than other subjects really offers a chance to like distinguish levels between accomplishment mm. like oh Yes, you may know algebra, but I learned calculus, you know, or you learned, and it's kind of like this, you get this idea, and this isn't true at all in advanced math, it kind of branches out, but uh, in schools, it's a very linear progression, right? Like, how far did you get? It's almost like one of those, like, uh, carnival games, where you're like, you see how strong you are, like, oh, this is how strong I got, I got all the way up to calculus, or I, oh, I got up to calculus too. So I wonder if in some ways in society, we kind of use it as uh, a prestige symbol. Oh, like, oh, you, oh you're oh, you an engineer? Oh, you're Elon Musk or Bill Gates? You understand this level of stuff? Wow, I could never do that. Whereas I feel like most other subjects are more broad than deep, where um, any one topic you focus on, like, say, in literature, somebody else could focus on that as well. Now, I think technically that's not true. I think there are deep dives. You have to get a ton of background. But I think the public perception is that most subjects are broad rather than deep, and the deepness of math may... Mm, Provide its usefulness as a social indicator in a way. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah I think that's yeah. an interesting theory. Yeah.
0: Well, how's that working out for you, Brian? Uh. It's working out great. No,
1: <laughs> no, actually, you know, I,
2: I didn't think about it in my
1: personal life, but I get I've gotten people all the time that thinking like, oh, because I have a PhD in math, therefore I must blank, and blank is almost never true. You know, people saying, oh, you got a PhD in math? Wow, your first job out of college it must have been like a hundred thousand dollars a year. Oh, you have a PhD in math, you know, that that's, that's useful, but, uh, it's not at all. Like, it, like I could actually say that <laughs> in almost every way, my life would probably be better right now if I had a master's in P, uh, a math and a PhD, mm-hmm. um, just because like the, the way job markets are for like, uh, labs and things like that, you know, you can pay masters less, but they know most of the same material. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I, I wasn't trying to apply it to myself at all, but people do think that a math, PhD would confer some kind of benefits because it is that long end chain of progression when in fact it it doesn't really so like there is a false social perception (laughs) about math
0: yeah so that's fine so so I mean I think that you're right I think you're right about the uh the way that math can be used as a as a tool to measure people and also yeah I'm sure you're right that you've experienced people see you with your advanced degree and they're and they assume certain things but and but for you on the inside that that's the funny thing to me is it's like it's working out for all of society except for the people who aren't learning a lot of math and the people who learned a ton of math (laughs) (laughs) right uh, (laughs) yeah that's
1: true that's true that's pretty funny you you went too far. Yeah, learn math, learn math. Wait, uh, hold back. Not that much. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you've learned more than I can understand, so it's hard to judge you. So yeah, yeah, uh, exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, there's a sweet spot for your with your marketability, you know, in in terms of like how much math you you learn and right. Once you get get past that, then you know, like this just seems like a market situation, like you said, that they don't. But it's funny that why why would they have a structure or an expectation to pay, you know, uh, someone with a PhD more when it doesn't make you any more, uh, you know, useful to whatever, you know, whatever the job
1: right, is. Right, right. And this was a big issue. You know, uh, the job I'm at very uh, right now, I love and it's great. So I'm glad that I got it. But so many other jobs, especially with the government, you know, they're like, oh, we're, we can't hire at this price range right now because they have fixed laws. The yeah, government, yeah. you know. You you have to pay, pay a PhD this amount, um, yeah, and then like um, a lot of public schools are like, okay, the PhD counts as like five or six years of experience, yeah, and then and then they just don't want to hire them, so yeah, so yeah, there is the, you can go too far in math. So society, like you guys said, society only loves the sweet spot. And I think it <laughs> right. does have a, a a real charm for um, self educated people. I, I mentioned Bill Gates, and Elon Musk earlier. Society tends to worship people who got to math so far and then kind of struck out on their own. Like, oh, you know, you could figure out math on your own, right. in a sense. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Which yeah, there's a lot I wonder of if that's of, also. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying there's a lot of this sort of mythology, you know, uh, involved that affects the way people evaluate, you know, and, and think about and, and, and um, give value to these things.
1: Right. And one thing I was thinking about connected with this, so the whole thing we've been talking about today is why is math structured the way it is? How do people uh, react to the way math is structured? Why does John have a, an irrational hatred of math? And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about it. Uh, math was not always taught this way, right? So um, in Greece, math is vastly different. And, uh, you know, in my own high school thing, the, the class I've experimented with the most is geometry because geometry is weirdly disconnected from everything else. No future mm-hmm. classes really use it all. Like, I don't know if you guys have memories of geometry, but you do like a parallel lines you have like alternating yeah. interior angles stuff like that that's never used in any other class mm-hmm. at most you'll use like volume and similar triangles so it really gives you a chance to experiment because if you horribly ruin up your student's education it's okay because you're never <laughs> going to use this again yeah. uh, uh, fingers crossed um maybe i should be saying this on no, so, so
0: when they ask you but, when am i going to use this you can say never
1: <laughs> yeah basically so uh, I've been having them try uh, using Euclid's Elements because Euclid's Elements was the main math textbook for many people for thousands of years. Um, uh, you know, throughout, you know, Greece, uh, the Arabic world, uh, you know, George Washington learned from Euclid's Elements, and it only went out of fashion about 50, 60 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's um, interesting. And they did math completely differently. So, so they had no concept of X and Y coordinate. They had no concept of analytic geometry. Theirs was just, you know... Here are these ideal objects, plane, point, line. What can we do with them? And everything was in terms of these. So there was no measurement. You didn't use rulers. You didn't have decimal places. It's just these abstractions. Mm -hmm. And if they wanted to do algebra, they didn't have symbolic manipulation. They couldn't write down x plus y squared. So if they wanted to prove something like how to foil x plus y squared, they would literally have to draw a rectangle that was x plus y long in one direction, x plus y long in another, and find it. And so they didn't really do any math beyond three multiplications because that represented represent a four-dimensional object that didn't exist. So that meant that, that, you know, and these are some of the greatest mathematicians of all time, Pythagoras, Euclid, all these people, they studied math completely different than we did. It wasn't anything like it at all. And they still accomplished it. You know, the great uh, Arabic mathematicians like Al-Khwarizmi who invented algebra, they didn't study things our way at all. So it's, it's changed so much over time and yet we put such an emphasis on the way we teach you right now as the only right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. When it's only been taught that way for like one percent of human history.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. That and that is like I think that's the most troubling thing to me is is that we uh, we act like we have these very high standards for for a discipline, but actually we're not doing anything that that has any evidence of of really. Uh, actualizing the, the sort of like true mathematicians that might be in our society. There's no, you know, you don't get, you don't get the people. I mean, I haven't heard at least the, the, the ones who are like, uh, really doing interesting math saying like, Oh, I'm so glad I had, you know, 60, uh, drill problems a night every night for, you know, <laughs> from, age, you know, from age 10 to 18. Right. It, it's like, uh, and and it sounds like the same kind of thing. Is is like you uh, you you can't even imagine like a textbook in Greece, uh, uh, and so they were just going about it differently. And 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 yeah, I think right. that's the, the the strangest thing to me is it's not it's not like that. There's something wrong with like like John was saying. There's there's some people that might benefit you know quite a lot from the way we do math now, but it is unusual that if we just look at the Uh, the people who are really successful and what do they think about, like how to teach math or how to approach math, uh, Mm -hmm. it seems like there's a significant disconnect, at least a lot of different opinions.
2: Right.
1: Right. You know, and that's actually, I think, one reason why math has uh, been taught so many different ways. I think they keep looking for the secret. But um, I think what happens is you get educators who are passionate and, like, they're with students who are motivated And together, the passionate uh, educators and the motivated students just create magic. And other people look at that and they say, okay, well, how did these people succeed so well? And they're like, hmm, it must have been exactly the way they're teaching. So we're going to copy exactly (laughs) what they're teaching word for word. (laughs) So an example of this is in the IB program. Uh, You know, uh, I've been doing different IB trainings. This is international baccalaureate for people who aren't aware. Uh, And they gave statistics about different classes and one of the least popular classes over the last few years was extended studies in math basically they used to have a basic math program an advanced math program and then a super advanced math program and only about 20 or 30 people would take it but they'd all get a's and i asked about that and And they're
0: super advanced
1: yeah there's only one guy basically who teaches it. There's one guy in one IB classroom who Seth wanted more. And so he petitioned IB to make a whole class center around his classroom and he, all of his students are taking it and they're all getting A's mm. and absolutely no other person is doing it. It's just, it's just him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they tried to copy it down. They tried to copy down his method and offer it to other people, but it doesn't work for other people. It's, it's just that connection. And that's, what's, I I've, I've, I've felt like that before. I think that's what happened with new math. I think that's math versus math ed. People find what worked for them, but so often what worked for them was just a really good teacher. you know what I mean right? Yeah, yeah right.
2: No, I think that's that's exactly you know uh, something I keep coming back to like when I when I think about these these things is that uh, trying to to take something that worked and then make it you know the standard that that like now everyone who wants to be successful has to do it this way. Uh that's right. the big mistake, you know, because uh yeah, it's just this desire to to, you know, universalize like this, this kind of success when yeah, it may be some very particular factors involved that, that make that happen, right? And then in, in right. another situation with different factors, I, I think the, the best thing that you can have is is a knowledgeable teacher who cares and who's sensitive to you know, the needs of the students, right? Those particular students uh, in front of the teacher and who just tries to get the best result based on those, those factors. Right. And, uh, and like the main, you know, the most important things aren't like the curriculum and, you know, and uh, the book or the method and and those kinds of things. Right. It's important for the teacher to be aware of as many different methods and approaches and, and everything as possible. Right. Because that's going to be the main limiting factor. But uh and uh, what we do in education instead and not just in math is is we say that the teacher's job is to implement is to create a classroom you know, to reproduce this classroom that other that elsewhere has been shown to work right. right. And it's just you know, uh, like there's so many problems with that and um, when this came up,
0: yeah, this is like the, uh, the same thing you see in teaching methods, like when we were talking about the no nonsense classroom. Right. Right. That was just. Right. I'm sure that was just some observations of you know a teacher, a couple of teachers who who really liked that way of communicating, and so so we packaged it up and we sent it out. It's like industrial revolution principles applied to human interaction. Right. Yeah.
1: That's what this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: that's true. And I'm I, I think there's a. Yeah. The... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's a lot of you know, um, you know, it's like. Uh, profit-seeking involved in that right like because you have this problem education right <laughs> mm-hmm. That everybody recognizes and then you just you just package different solutions and you know it doesn't really matter if this really is the answer or the solution just as long as people buy it for for, it sells, for, a, for a period yeah. of time you know you make your money and then you, you move on right I was gonna say I remember reading a, a business
1: book from the early 1900s when I was at uh, in my university library and I was a student And they had tips, like, studies have shown that, you know, like, workers work in the coal mine for 16 hours. If every 60 minutes you blow a whistle and they have to stop and rest for 30 seconds and then blow it and they go back again, they improve. You know what I mean? So this very, and I just imagine that with, you know, the math students across America, you know, they're they're doing the problems. You blow the whistle, you know, they set the pencils down and have your five-minute rest period, you know, blow the whistle again. Right. And it pops back up. And, uh, yeah, I just don't think that that one-for-all approach works. Uh, and you're talking about individualization, and it's so interesting you're talking about your specific experience with the timed math problems. Yeah. It's probably out of, when people don't like math, almost universally, one of their problems is that they struggle with timed tests. Like, if you do homework, mm-hmm. it's great, but a high-pressure environment is just something goes wrong. You know, you can call yeah, it a lot of things. Right. You can call it math anxiety, you can call it test anxiety, you can call it other things, but... It weeds out so many otherwise talented people from our current st- uh, math practices, right? Um, yeah. Just because like you have to fit into this mold. A good math person is somebody who, under pressure, can recall without any aids all of the algorithms and all of the other things, and then reproduce them flawlessly. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of held as the ideal. And that's the only if you don't match the ideal, you you can't be a math person, right?
2: Yeah, you know, like this. Okay, I'll bring up another. You know, gripe of mine, which is uh, standardized <laughs> tests, and and like right. one thing about standardized tests that's you know I think true is that they just they work as filters, right? Like, and yeah. I think yeah, like we were saying before, math, you know, in in the sense that it has this this definite progression, also works as a as a type of filter, and timed you know performance on things works 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 as a filter, and um, and it doesn't really matter like. It doesn't really matter like how the filter is working, you know. As long as it like filters out some people, lets some people through, and those people who are let through have some desirable traits, right? Like, right. Uh, like, like so with math, for example, it could be used as a filter. Like, you know, the the faster you have to do it, the more you know effectively it's going to, <laughs> you know, sort of create a spectrum of people, <laughs> and you can take the you know like the the top ones. So it's not really a question right. of like what's math for what do we want the goal of math education to be? How can math benefit the human being, you know, and things like this. It's just like math is a good way of like, you know, uh, creating a hierarchy of of people based on you right. know, some results. And, you know, and you just, you tweak these different factors and it, it just makes it a more and more sort of, give, it gives it, you know, makes it seem like more and more of an effective way to, you know, to rank people and filter them. Math is a prestige symbol. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: I I definitely think that that is a major factor. Uh, I had one university I taught at, they they required us to have average of 60s on calculus exams. Hmm. The intent was that a large amount of people would fail, and they'd either fail completely or they'd retake the course. And so almost everyone who's getting an A either took calculus before the last semester and had failed or uh, had uh, gotten an A in high
2: school. So it was intended specifically to weed as many people out as possible. Right, right. There's this interesting book by Alfie Cohn, who's become one of my uh, kind of heroes in educational thought. And he, but one of his, his first book, I think the one that kind of gained him notoriety was called uh, No Contest. And it was about, it was a critique of, of competition, um, you know, in all aspects of, of of life and society. And, but like one of the things he talks about is in order, you know, like um, there's an artificial scarcity that has to be created for, for competition to, um have its power, right? And it's it's to be compelling. And like like, you know, when I've talked to people about standardized tests and critique them and stuff, they say, okay, well, but what are you gonna do if you have a limited number of seats, a limited number of, of openings, and you have, you know, like more, you know, too many applicants, too many, you know, prospective people, then you have to filter them some way. And that's what a you know what a standardized exam, you know, does, right? And okay, Grant, you know, okay. Like but first, you have to ask: Are we creating that? Is this an artificial scarcity, right, of, of of seats and openings? Maybe not. Maybe there's some situations where you have a limited number of really qualified, great teachers, right? Let's say at a at a university, and you can't educate the entire country, <laughs> you know, right? Like you have to like limit them or whatever. But I think in and K through twelve education, it's definitely an artificial scarcity, like this idea that we have to figure out who, who are the best. Because what are you know, what are they competing for? Like what's um, well, what's no, the yeah. scarce and, thing? And yeah. what a, <laughs> what a weird way of
0: figuring out who gets to get the the scarce service, right? Or the um, you know, the seat in the class. Right. Like what a strange way of doing it, of giving it to everybody in a poorer way. So that virtually everyone fails, right? Yeah, and and then you're like, okay, you can, you passed, you can have a seat. Wow. I, I would like say, yeah, it's such a strange right, yeah. strange approach. Like and I would definitely say it,
2: yeah, in math, there's a scarcity of success in math. Like real success in math is is considered a scarce you know good, right? It can only be given to like a few. So a, a system, a proper system of, of math education is one that only gives that to you know a select few of people if if it if it started giving it to everyone like everyone got a's or something then you would you know the system would, would well come that's under. what
1: happened to me that's what happened at every university i taught at um at four different universities at some point somebody sat me down and said that i was giving out too high of grades in the class yeah and that, and that we can't do that because there has mm. to be a distinction between people uh and and, and you know uh I personally internalized that as like, okay, <laughs> that's my problem. I'm getting up too high of grades. Um, yeah. but then, uh, and, you know, obviously having listened to you guys' podcast, I'm pretty sure you don't, f- uh, follow that, uh, right. exact same prescription, but, but it's true. It's like, you know, uh, every single university, they want to have big distinctions. The class needs to be spread out. Um, and and a lot of times they frame that up in mathematical frameworks they're like oh you know according to the law of central tendency you know, any large enough sample inevitably form a bell curve so that means that if you're giving same grades out to different people then you're not uh, then you're not following like what's true mathematically you know what I mean right but yeah. in a sense, I feel like they're just kind of cherry picking because why? Why does math ability have to be a single numerical score that can be evaluated randomly? You know what I mean? Right. Where it's right. Distributed yeah. evenly between different people. Why does it have to be? You know, I have you know I have students who, like I said, freeze up on exams but they're brilliant on the homework, and mm-hmm. I have people um, who are excellent at graphing but they're really bad at algebra or vice versa. So how can you just look at you know those two different people and say, okay, well you're going to get a C and you're going to get an A? even though they have both great abilities, just because I only have like one measuring set. It's like that uh, right. person in mythology who had the iron bed and everybody who was too short, they had to lop, uh, stretch out and everybody was too tall. They had to like lop off their feet or something. And like, you're going to fit my bed. And that's sometimes how I feel like how math, <laughs> uh, grading is supposed to be. Yeah. And according to the world. Right.
2: Right. No, that's, I hate grading. I I feel like all grading is that way. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, I hate it. um, <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, something else. Go ahead, Sean. I don't know. I, I, I've been. Well, no, I yeah. mean, I, I, I'd get back on
0: my uh, soapbox about how what a strange way we filter people out is by force. We force them into systems that are going to create uh, majority failures, right? Yeah, uh, and, and maybe not everyone gets an F, right? Like obviously, we got to honor the bell curve, which uh, Brian and I have discussed at length about how weird it is to try to chase a bell curve, uh, Mm -hmm. rather than just gather data and plot it. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're not interested in everyone succeeding and that's what grades show us like quite clearly is that, um, um, and, and I, I think it's, I think it's strange to sort of say to, say to the world, (laughs) to every individual, oh, you have this infinite capacity to succeed uh, let's see if you're going to tap into it. Oh, it doesn't look you like doesn't look like you are. Uh, right. And it's you know, like yeah. well, I, I mean, I think one that's false. Like, I think that's one of the the worst things we tell people is is like you have an infinite capacity to succeed. No, we all have limits, and we all have to like figure it out. And some people will like really be super impressive in some fields, and some people will struggle in other fields, but. But that we sit them down and uh, take them through this system that that basically tells them this is how you you know this is precisely how you know how far from perfection you are Uh, right like it's it's just weird why not just why not just see how far their curiosity takes them why not just have education open at any level to anybody who's curious at all about it and just see if their curiosity sustains them. I was uh, I'll go back to last week when I talked about the my experience in learning Greek. I had an intense curiosity about that. I really wanted to learn it. And I went through a semester of it and I was like I'm good. I'm good now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't need to keep going. Uh so like it's not like it's not like the seats would just get you know overfilled uh you know, people will uh, people realize what they're actually interested in, and they'll focus on that. Yeah. It's it's, it's right. strange the and, way we yeah. do this.
2: And, like, why do we use, like, system of learning, which we purport, that's what we say, right? Students are coming to school to learn, right? But actually what they're coming, you know, if you look at the system and, and what we're doing, what they're coming to school for is to be sorted, right to be to be ranked right Uh, Right. it's like come come to math class you know come learn some math but what it really is is come find out where you are on the bell curve (laughs) right right Right. you know and wherever that is you know you might you know like like some people are going to be happy with that some people are not you know but that's just where you are you know Uh, you know and so it's like did you go uh, was it about learning or was it about yeah being sorted right (laughs) right
0: yeah who hasn't struggled like ever since that bell curve? Who hasn't struggled with like, oh, where am I on the bell curve? And uh yeah, I mean, I, I think that the way you say it, John, is perfect. Is it's like <laughs> we're we're acting like we're saying, yeah, come learn something, but really the secret. Yeah, the the secret plan, the real plan is, is to sort you on the bell curve.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. Where are you? And I, you right. know, I I say that as some like I've you know I've had plenty of success as a student, and and that's where it I I think that's where it you know it it gets perpetuated is because those people who experience being on top, you know, like when you're when you know that you're you're performing according to the criteria that have been set, like you're performing, you know, better than anyone else in your class, it's like intoxicating, mm-hmm. like it's it's really like a right. You know, like, yeah, it's, it, there's almost no better, you know, sort of feeling than that, right? And, and, uh, and everyone's, everyone's like shooting for that. It's, it's just, yeah, like it's a competition, just like the same way when, you know, in professional sports, everyone's going for the championship, right? And only one, one team is going to get it and everyone else is just going to feel like crap, you know? <laughs> and, right. like, but like, why are we doing, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that doesn't have a place, you know, in different domains of human life. But like, why are we doing that with, with with you know what we call what we're saying is just you know come and it's for your own good it's for your own benefit you know right but, and it has such a dramatic effect on people's lives like
1: people who are in the bottom what do they get they get you know tutors they get their parents you know right. you know mad at them all the time they get kicked out of the entire school if they're too yeah. far behind. You know, it's kind of, and, and I've seen it before, like, you know, your ability in math can be used as a stand-in for other undesirable qualities. You know, yeah. this person, you know, we don't want them at our school, so what can we do? Oh, well, you're bad at math, so you you got to get kicked mm. out anyway. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And then, like, yeah. people who are advanced at math like, oh, this is a genius student. This is a brilliant student. We, we mm. want to prepare for them. And, you know, that's not all bad. I mean, there is counterpoints to all of this. Indiv- right. Individualization is good. People do need support. People do need help. But um, it's just, like you said, like being on top of the world versus being stigmatized. Right. Uh, you know, it's the feeling that I think is the thing, the social aspect of, you know, math as like a form of personal wealth almost. your right. You know, your yeah. ability. And I think that's, I think, where the major issue lies. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. When my rocket ship was still down there, you know, in like the Earth's atmosphere <laughs> and all the other rocket ships were almost to the moon, I just, you know, it's a very low, low feeling. <laughs> And I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't deserve it, guys, you know. <laughs> well, that's good. I hope this has been able to help you work through
1: it in some yeah. way.
2: Yeah. Thank you. So I hope you don't think anymore, Brian, that I, I don't have any personal, you know, thing against math. It's just, yeah. I wish, I, I really, you well, know.
0: I I, th- yeah. <laughs> I think you were unpacking all that earlier. Yeah. Think you, yeah. You, you did yeah. have a personal thing.
2: Yeah, I first out notes.
1: <laughs> uh, notes repis- episodes before and i wrote down i feel like john hates me personally
2: but now now i don't feel like that anymore <laughs> yeah thank yeah I'm glad. I'm glad it's a good outcome for this.
0: <laughs> well uh, it's a good time to wrap up then i think mm-hmm. um yeah. i think uh brian we very much uh appreciated your contributions today
1: it's been really fun being on
0: uh, i'm sure there's a lot more we could say yeah thank you thank you very much and so thank you uh Thank you both. Thank you to the listeners who've stuck with us again and uh, let us know your thoughts. I just now recalled that we do have an email. I think it's unexaminededucation at gmail dot com, and John reads all of those, and I read none of them. So <laughs> feel free to send us some some thoughts. I there. forward them to Sean. And, though. Well, yeah, yeah. If,
2: so he has yes. an opportunity to read them. Don't take that the wrong way. That I'm, you know, keeping them.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just, I just want everyone to know that, that you're the, you're the email. Right. You're the email guy. Yeah.
2: I'm overseeing the emails. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got too many emails. I didn't want any more emails. But But yeah, this is a great discussion. And so hopefully we will, maybe we'll uh, invite you back on some other time, Brian, when we've, uh, when John has, uh, Fallen back into his darkness. Right, yeah, that's right. On-call therapist. Yeah, 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 we need you to recover him. (laughs) Okay, thank you and goodbye.